Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good morning. Good morning. It sounds like you've got a lot to be thankful for this morning, which is good to hear. If you haven't met me before, my name is Josh. I'm the clergy lead down the road at Holy Trinity Bore Lane. Uh, we are building a community down there that will reach out to those who work in the heart of the city centre. And as Di just prayed for, uh, we've been doing a gratitude course at Holy Trinity. We just started uh, last week, and we're encouraging people from lots of different backgrounds and walks of life to think about what it means to be thankful. And that's what we're going to think about this morning together. We are in a series thinking about rhythms, rhythms of spirituality and discipleship that can help us uh, to be followers of Jesus. So we're going to think this morning about being grateful. So in his letter to the Philippians, Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul says these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. It's a high bar for gratitude in the Bible. Rejoice in the Lord always. I don't know what you think of when you hear those words. I wonder who comes to mind as the person who is the most grateful. Who is the person that you know that exemplifies this message? Rejoice in the Lord always. For me, when I think back uh, to the person I've met who, uh, who exemplifies this spirit of gratitude, I think back to a time uh, when I was a church intern uh, many years ago, and I decided to attend the church all-night prayer meeting. This was a, a prayer meeting that started at 10 p.m. and finished at 5 a.m. Um, and the reason I went is because I rather fancied one of the girls that was uh, going along, <laughs> I have to confess. Uh, I did actually marry her, so, you know, um, I feel like God answered our prayers. Um, but on, on the all-night prayer meeting, uh, there was uh, a woman called Hong, uh, who had come to faith in the underground Chinese church and was studying in York. And Hong was the kind of person who attended all-night prayer meetings for the right kind of reasons, if you know what I mean. Now, I remember uh, very vividly walking through the streets of York in the middle of the night uh, with Ellie and Hong, praying for the people of York. Uh, and it was winter, and Hong slipped on some black ice. And she fell quite dramatically and landed right at the bottom of her back. You know that, the place in your back where it's really painful to hit, and hit the ground with a thud. And immediately, Hong got to her feet, and she cried out, Thank you, God, that I can stand. <laughs> to me, that was a person who knew what it meant to be thankful at all times. Now, Hong hadn't had a particularly easy life. She had become a follower of Jesus in a place where there were huge restrictions on how you could worship and the materials that you could have to follow Jesus. Um, and I think sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that gratitude is for people that have all they need, all they desire. But actually, when I think about some of the most grateful people I know, sometimes they are the people that have suffered the most, people that have had difficult lives. And that's because I think at its heart, gratitude is not about how much we have. 
It's about noticing the things that we've got, however small they may be. And we know that gratitude is incredibly good for us. There's been a huge amount of work that's been done in the last 20 or 30 years in uh, psychology departments, particularly in the United States, around the positive benefits of being grateful. One of those psychologists, a guy called Bob Emmons, who's one of the leading thinkers in the study of gratitude, says that gratitude has one of the strongest links to mental health and satisfaction with life of any personality trait. Gratitude has been shown to help us with stress, to recover from illness, to improve our mental and physical health, to build better relationships. There's even research which suggests that people who are grateful regularly live longer lives. Emmons puts it elsewhere that he has come to the conclusion that after 50 years of scientific study, that gratitude has the power to heal, to energize, and to change lives. Gratitude is incredibly powerful. This very simple act that you just did that Eve encouraged you to think about what you have that you can be thankful for. It's very simple, but very powerful. Now, before any psychologist made the links between gratitude and mental health, uh, we read in the letter to the Philippians, Paul explicitly linking gratitude to mental well-being. A verse later, Paul says, after he's just said, rejoice in the Lord always, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, we know from more recent work that people that are grateful uh, can often are able to respond better to anxiety and depression, people that have built up this kind of psychological immune system of noticing the good that they have, are able often to respond to their circumstances in very different ways. And I think here, this is what Paul is getting at in his, uh, his recommendation to the Philippians, that they are not anxious but they offer prayers of thanksgiving instead. Now, don't hear me wrong. I think when we hear this phrase, do not be anxious, it's easy to get the wrong end of the stick and think that what Paul is saying here is we just have to try really hard to stop worrying about everything. Now, if you've experienced anxiety yourself or if you know somebody who's experienced uh, severe anxiety, you will know that that's about the worst thing you can say to somebody who is anxious. Stop being so anxious. Stop worrying about everything. But I don't think this gets to the heart of what Paul is really saying in Philippians about anxiety and gratitude. Paul is not saying that we just need to try really hard to stop being anxious because being anxious is something that is bad. Instead, I think he gives us a positive message that we should focus our attention not on ourselves and the things that we have to worry about, but on the good things. We should focus our attention on what we are grateful for, even if the only thing we can muster is, I'm grateful for this cup of tea this morning. I'm grateful that I managed to get out of bed this morning. Do not be anxious, but by prayer 
and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. Ultimately, Paul tells us that we, in times of difficulty and anxiety, we need to look with gratitude to the one that is the source of all things that are good. The example of my friend Hong standing quickly and being grateful to God that she can walk may seem like a, an amusing anecdote, but I think it gets to the heart of what gratitude is all about, that even in the midst of pain, there are things that we can be thankful for. And Paul tells us that a life that is lived in prayer and thanksgiving will ultimately lead to peace. In verse 7, he says, The peace of God which transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, gratitude and thankfulness to God is the starting point to lives of peace, the very opposite of lives of anxiety. Now, one of the things that we learn if we read some of the psychological work on gratitude is that while gratitude is incredibly powerful, it's, it's not a quick fix. Uh, you can't just by saying, yeah, being thankful for a couple of days, suddenly um, overcome all of these difficulties you've been struggling with your whole life. It requires uh, a kind of rhythm, if you like. The series we're looking at encourages us not to look at the big things, but at the day-to-day -day life of discipleship. And this is precisely uh, what researchers tell us about gratitude, that it's in uh, choosing each day to find time to be grateful, that we're able to build these muscles, this resilience that sees thankfulness in the heart of difficulty. Throughout the pages of scripture, there are countless examples of people who give their lives in thankfulness to God. We're going to share together in a meal of thanksgiving shortly. At the heart of the church is this meal. Sometimes it's called the Eucharist, which literally means thanksgiving. That's what we do when we gather as a church around this table. To me, when I think about where we go in Scripture to build habits of gratitude and thanksgiving, my mind immediately goes to the book of Psalms. Throughout the history of the church, the book of Psalms has been uh, the songbook, the prayer book of the church. When he compiled uh, the Book of Common Prayer, which was uh, the Anglican liturgy of its time, uh, Thomas Cranmer made sure that in a month uh, you would say the whole book of the Psalms if you said morning prayer and evening prayer every day. The Psalms are a place where we are shaped as followers of Christ in thanksgiving and prayer. So we're going to read a psalm together now. So Metab is going to come and read to us um, from Psalm 118, which is a psalm of thanksgiving. And then we're going to look a little more closely at what we can learn about being thankful. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. 
He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can human being do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in human beings. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in the prince. All the nation surrendered me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrendered me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Amen. Thank you. Amen. So Psalm 118 is fairly uh, typical of a, a psalm of thanksgiving that we read in the book of Psalms. And we're going to think now together about uh, what we can learn about being grateful in the day-to-day. We thought about the importance of gratitude and the need to rejoice in all things. But gratitude is a very practical uh, spiritual discipline to grow in. There are very easy things that we can do to become more focused in gratitude. And I think they're all here in the Psalms. So I'm going to give you three tips, if you like, for practicing gratitude in your day-to-day lives. So the first one is be as specific as possible. I know that as Brits, uh, we are people that say thank you very often. In fact, uh, I get very passionate about uh, the use of proper manners. I remember working in a hotel uh, as a waiter. I used to make breakfast for people at 6 o'clock in the morning. And one of the things that really got my back up is when people did not say thank you for their toast. (laughs) We are a very polite culture, so much so that the French uh, have a joke about uh, Brits. Uh, How do you know uh, if somebody is English? Uh, because uh, they apologize to you after you've stepped on their toe. That's apparently the joke. Um, there is a perception, I think, in, wider, in the wider culture of our world, uh, that whilst Brits are very polite, uh, they're a little insincere in their use of please, sorry, and thank you. We're very good at insisting our children use good manners. But developing gratitude is not just about instinctively responding Uh, with thank you at the right times in this kind of vague, instinctive, cultural way. Look at the words of uh, the psalm that we just read. The psalmist sings a prayer of thanksgiving, uh, but this isn't just a platitude. This isn't mere manners. Uh, This is an overflowing of something uh, that uh, that he cares about, something that uh, God has done for him. He doesn't just say, thank you, God, that you are good. He talks very specifically about the things God has done, the ways in which God has brought him out of peril, the ways in which God has helped him to win battles over his enemies. There's a lesson for us here about being grateful. Being grateful is about noticing the small things. In fact, uh, this is precisely what gratitude researchers tell us. 
But the more specific you can be, uh, the more likely gratitude is to take its effect. And the more vague we are in being grateful, the more likely we are to succumb to a kind of gratitude fatigue in which we never really feel thankful for anything. So let me encourage you to develop a pattern of gratitude that notices the specific things each day. There are ancient practices of the church, like the prayer of examine, which gets us to sit down at the end of the day and to think back about where God has been. What would happen if you got to the end of each day and asked yourself, what am I grateful for? What has happened today for which I can give thanks? So that's the first tip. Be as specific as you can be in your thankfulness. The second thing I want to say is that we need to learn to become surprised. Being grateful is often about uh, noticing things that we hadn't noticed before. I want you to think about the best uh, gift that you'd ever been given. M my guess would be that if you thought of a gift, uh, it's not something that you asked for. I don't know what your family's like at Christmas, uh, but often uh, our families, I know, very quickly uh, become, uh, we exchange gift lists so that we all know exactly what we're getting and we might as well have all just gone out shopping and bought ourselves the things that we wanted. But gratitude is evoked most strongly when we can be surprised at things that are good. Uh, my love language is uh, coffee. Um, <laughs> I can tell that people love me if they unexpectedly buy me bags of coffee. And this week, precisely that happened. Um, I received a knock at the door and a parcel came that I wasn't expecting. And I opened it up and inside it, uh, was a book and some coffee uh, from a student of mine who I taught many years ago uh, who was now working in Thailand, who unexpectedly decided to send me a copy of his book. To me, that evokes a real sense of gratitude, precisely because that was the last thing I was expecting when I heard the knock on the door. But there's nothing about the coffee itself. In fact, I buy myself bags of coffee almost every week. The, the, the gift itself is not the thing that evokes the gratitude. It's the giver, the thought, the person who gave that time to think about the good things uh, that they would like to give. So being grateful is often about finding things that allow us to be surprised. And I think if we're going to be honest, many of us here... Um, are not very often surprised uh, because we have so much stuff. We don't really have to think about, many of us, and this is not true for all of us, but there are many of us who don't really have to think about uh, whether we're going to manage to put a nice meal of food on the table this week. And because we have so much good in our lives, it's often very easy to feel uh, ungrateful because we do not allow ourselves to feel surprised day in, day out. I think this is at the heart of the spiritual disciplines of fasting and simplicity, in which we give away the things that have become normal to us, so that we can relearn how to be surprised by goodness. 
We need to learn how to enjoy things while we have them. And part of this, I think, is about seeing that all of the good things that we have are time-limited. I don't know if you're aware of the last Rolo phenomenon. It really is true. Psychologists will tell you it really is true that the last Rolo in the packet tastes better than all of the rest of them. And there's a good reason for this. It's because we notice it. We pay attention to it. We appreciate its goodness because we know that it's going to end very soon. I know that as a parent of young children, our kids are uh, five, three, and one, uh, that it's hard to feel grateful in the daily grind of parenting. But almost every time I bump into an older person on the bus or in the supermarket, they consistently say the same thing, which is, enjoy it while it lasts. I can see some nods from parents. It's the most annoying thing to hear when your kid's having a tantrum in the supermarket. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it, that we need to learn to enjoy the good things we have while we have them, because they will end. So one of the gratitude exercises we can do uh, is to think about the good things that we have um, and the time limits that we have on them, to recognize the fact that the good things that we have will soon come to an end, and to be thankful to God while we still have them. The psalmist, I think, really knows how to be grateful because he has experienced hardship, he has experienced difficulty, and times in which everything has been stripped away. We heard read to us by Metab that when hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid, what can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. It's often, if it's true that we struggle to notice good things because we have an abundance of them, then how much more true is it that we struggle to notice the goodness of God when we are surrounded by so much goodness? It's often people like the psalmist who are put into these times of real trial and difficulty that we learn to rely on the goodness of God. I think we sometimes lie to ourselves by saying that the reason that that's the case is because God is helping the people that are difficult and he isn't, that are having difficult times and he isn't helping us. That God helps, the reason the psalmist can notice God's goodness is because God is reaching out to him but not to me. But I think that's a lie. I think that's a lie and an excuse that we tell ourselves because we're not prepared to stop and to notice what God is doing. I was recently talking to a member of our congregation at Holy Trinity who's um, a solicitor in the city centre, very uh, busy man who works very long hours uh, and has a lot of responsibility. And we've been talking together about gratitude. And he said to me, taking time every day just to be grateful for the things that I have has made me notice that God is at work. It's made me notice that God is at work in the ordinary things of my life in, in a way that I hadn't appreciated. So learn to be surprised by God's presence in your life. The last thing I want to say is that gratitude is about having perspective. 
I don't know how many of you read this book that's coming up. Has anybody read this book? Uh, it's a profound work of fiction, in my opinion, um, that teaches us much about how to... I'm actually not joking. It's there. <laughs> it teaches us much about how to live in the world. So I'm going to read to you from A Squash and a Squeeze by Julia Donaldson, if that's all right. It's a wonderful book. A little old lady lived by herself with a table and chairs and a jug on the shelf. A wise old man heard her grumble and grouse. There's not enough room in my house. Wise old man, won't you help me, please? My house is a squash and a squeeze. So along comes a wise old man, and he tells the old lady, bring in your hen to live in the house. And after a while, uh, she realizes, she's the, the old lady replies, uh, after living with her hen for a few days, what shall I do? It was pokey for one, and it's tiny for two. My nose has a tickle, and there's no room to sneeze. My house is a squash and a squeeze. Now the story goes on, uh, and the, the wise old man tells the woman to bring her goat into the house. Uh, and after a few days, uh, she turns to him again and says, what shall I do? And he says, bring your pig to live in the house. And then eventually, uh, she, he says, bring the cow to live in your house. And to the point where she literally can't move, she can't do anything, and her house is filled with farmyard animals. And so she turns to the old man and asks what she should do. And the man tells her uh, to move all the animals out of her house. And this is what she says at the end of the book. Thank you, old man, for the work you have done. It was weenie for five. It's gigantic for one. There's no need to grumble. There's no need to grouse. There's plenty of room in my house. Now, this, notice this woman hasn't gained anything from this experience, materially. Her house is exactly the same size. It's got all of the same things inside it. Uh, but what's changed? Why has her house gone from being teeny to being gigantic? The answer is that she's gained some perspective on the things that she already has. Now, the same is true for us, I think. If we compare our lives with people that are more successful, more wealthy, who have bigger and nicer houses, uh, or perhaps even spiritually, people that we perceive to have deeper relationships with God, whatever we think that means, uh, people that are more committed to the church, uh, then we will always feel that our lives are a squash and a squeeze, that there are always things that we could do. But what happens if we gain a broader perspective on our lives? What would it look like if we noticed our lives alongside those in our communities uh, who don't know where their next meal is coming from, who don't know if they can heat their homes? What would it look like if we viewed what we have globally alongside people in the world who are fleeing from their homes, who are living in fear of war and famine? What would it look like if, we, if that was the benchmark for thinking about what we have? Gratitude is all about perspective, noticing what we have, not what we haven't got. And as Christians, we believe that there is a broader perspective that isn't just about our communities and our world, but is about where we fit in the grand scheme of God's kingdom. The psalmist says in verse 9 that it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. 
It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. The psalmist knows very well that the proper perspective that his life must be seen through is the fact that all the things that we have will not last. Our cars, our houses, even our books will one day be no more. Our political leaders will fall, our sports heroes will get too old and too slow to compete. Our bodies will decay and stop working properly if they haven't already. But there are things that we believe as Christians that will outlive all of these things. There are things that will last into eternity. What happens when you start to notice those things in your life? When you start to pay attention to the true perspective that we are given of what we have to be thankful for. So be specific. Be surprised and put your life in its perspective. If you do these things regularly, um, I suggest that you will build habits of gratitude. But there are also some really good practical things you might do. Um, one of the things that um, I found quite helpful and that we're doing on our gratitude course is to keep a simple journal. Uh, you can find this, um, a digital copy of this booklet on the Holy Trinity website. Uh, we've got a page of some materials about gratitude. Um, but you don't need a fancy journal like this to do it. Um, it might simply be setting an alarm on your phone that says, what are you grateful for now? It might be about uh, adding that extra routine to your daily life, that as you're brushing your teeth, you write down as many things you can think of to be grateful for that have happened that day. Whatever it is, let me encourage you uh, to take up this habit of being grateful each day this next year. And let's see how uh, God is able to build us as a community together. Thank you for listening to the St. George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.